The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And on this podcast and our podcast series on the AI failures, on AI project failures. So if you've been listening to our Cognolytica, the AI Today podcast, you'll know that for the past uh, bunch of podcast episodes over the past, say, dozen or two uh, podcasts we've been recording, we've been doing a series on the reasons why AI projects are failing. And part of the reason why we're focusing on AI project failures is there have been many reports in both the news and in analyst coverage and in things that uh, professional services companies are talking about in many places about the high rate of AI project failures. And you know, just like many of you listeners, many of many of the listeners here on our podcast, you know, we are concerned too. I mean, we we are fans and believers in what AI and cognitive technologies can do, but we're also realists, and we're not, uh, you know, just getting our inspiration from the movies and from uh, what the uh, you know others are in the industry are saying about the promises of what AI can do. I think we all know about what the promises of what AI can do. That doesn't really take much convincing to tell people about that. But when people are trying to put AI into production, when you're trying to actually make it work, you uh, realize that a lot of the issues that we face have very little to do with sort of the technology issues. These are not issues of you know, bad AI just doesn't do what it's supposed to do or bad products. You know, a lot of times the reasons why these AI products are failing, well, we have 10 episodes that talk about the reasons why these AI projects are failing. And what we've been doing is we've been going through each of those major reasons and hopefully sharing with you that it's not just inexperienced people making many of these mistakes. In some cases, it's some of the, even the most experienced people, the most the, the, the most well-known luminaries mm-hmm. are making these very same mistakes and suffering these AI project failures. Exactly. And, you know, as Ron mentioned, I don't think that by now we need to convince you about the, you know, dream of AI, what it can do. But there's a lot to be learned from reasons why AI projects have failed. And so we thought it was important to dedicate um, a use case series to this, you know, with uh, AI project failure series, because we want you to understand how others are making mistakes learn from those mistakes, and then not make those mistakes yourself. So in previous podcasts in our AI failure series, we've talked about how, you know, you shouldn't run your AI projects like you run your application development projects. We talked about data quality issues. We talked about data quantity issues. Also ROI, how that's not always justified with your AI projects and what you need to do, how you need to rethink that to move forward so that you can be successful. But today, we really wanted to talk about uh, another major reason that we see, you know, and a common a common theme that keeps coming up is that uh, 
people are trusting the vendors too much. And as a result, projects are not going the way that they want them to, whether that's product mismatch, overhype, overselling. There's a bunch of different reasons, and we're going to dig into that um, as to why we have seen projects fail when people just kind of go in blindly trusting these vendors and not asking the correct questions that they need to, to make sure that they're getting the product that actually fits their needs, you know, and, and that can be a major issue, uh, obviously when you're sold something that is wonderful, but just doesn't fit your needs. Yeah. I think it's a good place to start, which is that I think, you know, in this conversation about the products and services that are out there. So when we say vendors, for those of you that may not be familiar with that lingo, uh, typically a vendor is obviously a company that's selling something that an end user will buy to implement the thing. Um, in some cases, and in many cases, it could be a product that a company can install perhaps on their premises. Uh, in many cases, it could be a product that you use in the cloud that you may pay for on a consumption basis or on a monthly basis or on some subscription basis, right? Um, but it could also even be services. You know, they don't have, it doesn't have to be products. You could be buying consulting services perhaps from, you know, a whole lot of contractors, systems integrators is another term for that, where they pull all these things together, you know, management consulting firms, business process, outsourcing firms, you know, uh, systems, uh, you know, VARs and SIs. There's, there's so many different terms that are used in this industry because there's a bunch of different ways in which people like to, to buy and use technology. Sometimes they want the turnkey. They're just like, here's my problem. You solve the problem. And then I want, you know, what this is, the, the term in the industry is called a single throat to choke. You know, if something's going wrong, I can go one place and say, okay, you were responsible for the whole project. So therefore, I kind of know who's to blame when stuff doesn't work. In many cases, people already have their own teams and they don't want to get something turnkey because they may have to live with this product for a very long time. So sometimes they're just buying the solution itself. Sometimes they're buying solution plus maintenance, additional support. So, so it actually is kind of a, a complex environment. And I think it's a good place to start because people, again, might be thinking, oh, I'm buying a piece of software uh, or, or something, and then I'm responsible for, for all the implementation. Therefore, when it fails, because this is about failure, oh, well, it's the end user's fault, right? You know, you bought something, it doesn't work. I'm just the technology provider. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And I, and I think part of the re reason we should understand the scope of vendors thing is because sometimes it's not always the end user's fault, especially when the, the implementer is getting help um, from either the vendor or a consulting firm to make it work together. So I think that's first just an overview of this space. Right. And, um, and, and I think maybe we should, we should talk a little bit about um, sort of like who are these AI, the, the kind of the exactly. kind of space. Yeah. So you know, hopefully if this is your first time listening to the AI Today podcast, welcome. And if this is not your first time, welcome back. As you may know, we are with Cognolytica, which is an AI-focused research advisory and education firm. We track the markets and we track over 20,000 vendors in this space. So that's important to note because there's a lot of vendors out there, right? I mean, over 20,000 vendors that are dedicated to, you know, artificial intelligence, cognitive technology, machine learning, um, and, you know, related areas. So that's, that's a lot of vendors. And 
to make sense of that can be quite difficult. So we've, we, we break it down. Obviously we, you, you can't just look at all of the vendors. You have to see, okay, how, how do they break down? What do they do? What do they specialize in? But even within that, you know, um, we have covered the data labeling space for many years now and have an upcoming snapshot uh, report that's that's going to be uh, out by the time of this podcast. There are about 100 vendors. I mean, when we started tracking this space, there was maybe a dozen, and now there's about 100, which one just shows you the rate of growth with some of these some of these sectors. And two, it also shows you how many vendors are out there. To look at all of them and say, okay, I'm just going to pick this random vendor, go along with it, you know, trust trust what they say, trust what's going on, that, that can be overwhelming. I mean, you know, looking at all of those and then you say, okay, I'm just going to go with this vendor. It's a big vendor. I, I feel confident with that. But they may not actually be providing what you need. Uh, you know, maybe you need video annotation and they are really good at, um, you know, text. And so it's like, okay, well, Yes, they're a great data labeling firm. They just don't fit your needs. So that's where, you know, you can run into those issues where you're trusting the vendor too much. And that's just in one particular area. Dig into other areas and, you know, it can be equally as confusing. So that's why we say, okay, you have to understand what you're doing, break it down, and then what vendors actually fit your needs um, to make sure that it is a good match. Because at the end of the day, the vendor wants to provide a solution that works for you, that you're happy with, and you want to get a solution that fits your needs. And sometimes there is that mismatch. So as Ron said, it's like, well, that you know, single throat to choke. Um, you want to make sure you want to make sure that you know you're not you're not having a project failure. Because if you are, as we've said, in the past, I mean, you're spending all this money, time, resources. You do not want these projects to fail. You don't want to set out with the goal of failure, I hope. Uh, so make sure that you are looking at these vendors in a way that makes sense. So, so focusing specifically on this issue of product mismatch. So we will be very charitable here and we will just assume that the companies that are out there, all the vendors that are producing products and services, their products do what they say and claim it can do. We're not going to uh, say at this point in this particular part of this podcast that uh, vendors are making claims about their product that are not true. So let's just let's just be charitable for the moment and assume that every single one of these vendors that we are talking about doesn't we don't even have to talk about specifically who they are. They're all doing exactly as I say, what's on the box, you know, as, as the British have to say, it's on the tin, you know, it's 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 <laughs> uh, you know, it, it does what it's claimed to, to do. Well, well, even if products do what they claim to do, the, the challenge is, is that many of us implementers who are trying to make these AI systems work, we don't necessarily know to choose the right product for the particular problem domain. So I'll go very, very specific here, but let's just say you're trying to build a neural net, deep learning neural net, convolutional neural net for some sort of image recognition problem. And convolutional neural nets are really, really good at that. And you might've heard somewhere, let's just say through conversation that, oh, you know, um, I, you know, it's just so much effort to have to, 
get all the training data, clean all the training data. We spent many other podcasts talking about those things. Then you have to label it. Kathleen was just mentioning about that. If you're trying to teach a computer how to, how to learn something from examples, you have to use what's called supervised learning, which means you have to give the computer examples and tell the computer what they are because a computer sees an image as just a bunch of bits. It doesn't know <laughs> that those bits are a cat, you know? And so the human has to say, yes, this grid of bits is uh, of bytes, you know, here are the red, green, and blue, plus, you know, whatever other bytes are in there. This is uh, a grid of bytes representing a cat. Now, if I give the computer 1,000 different grids of bytes learned as cat, then the, then the machine will find the pattern and will basically then build the model so that when I then use that model, when I give it some other grid of uh, bytes, of, of it'll tell me what percentage likelihood that that grid of bytes is a cat. By the way, I just summarized uh, real quickly what, how supervised learning works. That is, that is <laughs> pretty much what supervised learning is doing. And that's what the machine is doing when it's machine learning. It's actually learning that pattern and creating that model. Of course, now when you think about that, you can't really use that model for anything else. Well, anyway, let's get into the technology decision. If you've, you've also heard, let's just say um, people have been talking about this idea of something called AutoML, this great idea that it's just so complicated to have to do all these things and, and do hyperparameter tuning to basically get that supervised learning model to work. That's not an easy thing. Um, I've heard that there are these tools out there that will basically do this for me automatically. I just basically um, kind of tell the tool the what I want to do. I give it the data and it'll do its magic little thing and it'll create the model for me automatically. Here's the trick. Not all the products that do AutoML are doing the same thing. So there's a couple of vendors where you will you can literally drag quantified data, like uh, table tabular data, and it'll do AutoML and create these boosted trees or whatever you know support. It has it goes through all the algorithms and, and it produces that. And even I at first was confused. I'm like, okay, great. So how can I drag images into this? I want to do image recognition. No, 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 no. The products that product is not for that kind of machine learning model. It's for predictive models where you're trying to have like numerical data or something and you're trying to predict something like credit score or something like that. You can't drag images into it. And I'm like, well, call me an idiot because I thought you said auto ML and I thought ML is ML. So what difference does it make? No, it turns out it makes a big difference. And it turns out there's a whole other set of auto ML tools that are specifically and only focused on image recognition. So you can't use... Okay, I'll say a couple of vendors. You can't use Google Cloud AutoML, uh, Vision AutoML to basically do a quantified model. It doesn't work. You can't use H2O's, you know, auto driver thing to, to basically, you know, do image recognition. I don't want those vendors calling us up. Please don't. You know, uh, it's possible that these vendors keep changing. That's the other thing. Uh, you know, keeping up with the vendor changes in the market, it, that's actually what we do as a business at Cognolytica. And it is a full-time job for multiple people oh, that work yes. at Cognolytica. So, so yeah, it takes time to do that. So this misalignment happens all the time. I give a very, very, very specific example of how you might choose the wrong tool for the wrong job. But there are many other subtle things, like not realizing that um, you know, that the tool that you're using, even for things like data cleaning, is not the right kind of tool, or the tool that you're using um, for basically model operationalization is not the right tool. Because it's like, yeah, that works for the cloud, but it doesn't work for the edge. It doesn't work on premise, and this works in the cloud. And, and this is where, pro you know, as we said, this is a podcast about failures. A lot of times these projects will fail because of either an overcommitment to the wrong product 
you'll say, oh, we are a, a, a cloud house and we do all of our implementation using this one cloud vendor. And it may happen that that one cloud vendor does not do the one thing that you want very well. And so if you've made that commitment to that vendor, the thing that you're trying to do won't work very well. And then you'd be like, well, I guess the AI project fails. And it's like, eh, well, you know, in this case, it was a mismatch issue. So, um, you know, I know we're kind of diving deep here, but but this this does come up surprisingly quite a bit, even if everything else lines up, great data, great data quality, you know, great ROI, you know, you've actually done a data project, you're not doing an application development project, you pick the wrong tool, and it could still fail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it can it can get derailed. And also, it's like Ron said, if you're just not picking the right tool to solve that problem, then you may go, okay, well, this AI project just failed. Or it's not getting the results that you want, and you keep trying and putting more money and more resources and more investment into this project, only for it to continue to fail. And sometimes people don't take a step back and look at the bigger picture and go, is there a different solution to this problem? And if there is, maybe this will succeed because you just, you know, you get tunnel vision and you get so focused on the project and the tools that you have and the resources that you currently have um, that maybe you don't think to look outside to additional resources. That's also a common issue that we see. You know, once you start getting along in that project, people go, well, this is the tool that I picked. This is a tool that's going to work and we're going to make it work. By hook right. or by crook, <laughs> you're like, okay, wow, that's great, because now your project failed, and now you think that AI is is not going to work, and hopefully you've learned from these these failure series, and maybe uh, with your own failure too. Although we're hoping you're you're not failing, but maybe you've learned. You know, once a project fails, it's pretty hard to gain trust, gain additional funding for for um, future projects. That's not what we want here, right? We don't want AI to be seen as a failure. And suddenly your organization says no thank you to, to moving forward with another project just because of you know something that could have been tweaked, like picking a different vendor, so, which is a big deal, but also sometimes really is not a big deal. You know, you have to go through that vendor selection process, make sure that that you're really vetting these people. But that that's something that you need to look at. We always talk about methodology. We're advocates for best practices methodology, in particular CPMAI, the Cognitive Project Management for AI methodology. These are questions that you need to ask. In one of our previous podcasts, we went through an entire AI Go, no-go project. You need to make sure that all of your, um, you know, we, we said all of your answers are yes, but think of them like traffic lights. They can be red, yellow, or green. You do want greens in order to move forward. But while you're while you're thinking about the project, you know, also think about the vendor or vendors that you'd like to that you'd like to use and make sure that you're doing your due diligence with it so that you are picking the right solution so that you continue to set your project up for success and not make it be a failure. Like Ron said earlier, even if you know your data quality is good, data quantity is sufficient. You do have an ROI that's justifiable. You know, you've gone through a bunch of these things. You still want to make sure that you have the right vendors for the right, um, you know, solution, that they're solving the right problem and they're the right vendor for your problem so that you can move forward and not be unsuccessful. Right. Um, You know, without sort of, you know, diving too much still on this project, 
you know, fit this, this mismatch issue. I think there's lots of good reasons why people are committed to a particular technology stack. You don't want to be in an environment, especially if you're in a large company, where every group is making its own technology decisions for their own specific reasons, even if they are ideal and optimal for that. And you know, the poor CIO <laughs> or the poor head of the technology organization looks across their enterprises and being like, wow, how do we have 20 different vendors, you know, that are all doing the same thing? This is especially the issue with databases. It's like, yeah, I know that, you know, there's lots of different forms of databases, but man, what a nightmare it would be if you run an enterprise and you had like 20 completely different, not just databases as in like the data stores, but 20 different vendors. And you're trying to like do integration across all of them. It is a nightmare. So, so the sort of like the counterweight to what we we're just saying is like, we understand the desire to standardize and to simplify uh, vendor selection because you don't want to have this 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 crazy zoo of products out there which are all changing at different rates which require different skills and people have to learn how to use them and they have different considerations and pricing and you're not getting any discounts whereas with maybe if you do commit to a single vendor then at least you can get all their enhancements in the products and the features so we understand that balance so i think i think sort of like the the idea here is that sometimes uh, you have to um, basically make the best fit, and under, but at least understand when something really, truly is not a fit. Like, this is clearly not a fit. And, you, and then at that point, you may deal with the fact that, like, we understand we're trying to simplify purchasing decisions. One of the things that we do as an analyst firm, we actually have two things that we do uh, to help our customers understand sort of this, this fit situation to make sure that, that it's something that they're getting is clearly not, not a, a misfit. You know, like, if, for example, if you're trying to buy a car for your family, probably a sports car uh, is not the right idea. We understand the appeal of the sports car, but like you're not driving your kids to school, a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a nine-year-old in a Lamborghini. You're probably going to be choosing something that is more appropriate for that, an SUV or you know, back in the day, it was station wagons or a minivan or something like that. It could even be a sedan. But the thing is you have to, it's like you understand sort of the fit, right? And, and then the specifics kind of don't, ma- at that point, you're like, you know, if you're trying to make a decision between a Toyota, a Honda, a Ford, whatever, Chevy, then you get into the more specifics of the features. And then at that point, if you want to standardize and be like, okay, we're, we're a household that only buys a single you know, vendor family, then that's fine. But at least you know that you're, you're in the right category. You're not buying the sports car, right? Um, so the two things that we do as an analyst firm is one thing we've called decision factors, which is if you're if you're trying to achieve a particular outcome, let's just say we'll go back to data labeling because we use use this idea. If you're like, I have a bunch of images or video that I need annotated so that I can train my supervised models, and I need those those images are highly sensitive. Like I can't actually put them up on the cloud, either for regulatory reasons or for practical reasons. You know, if you have, you know, medical image data that are sitting on inside of your medical imaging facility. I mean, forget about the fact that there are regulations that prevent you from posting those images on the internet, which is, would be crazy. Um, you know, even if it's in a private cloud, you may have, have restrictions there. There may be physical challenges of transferring terabytes of data, you know, especially if you're trying to make like, 
like a five minute decision. Um, I know I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but let's just say you're building a medical imaging system and you wanted to come back with a diagnosis to say that there's something of concern in that image. You're not going to sit there and wait two hours for images to upload, three hours for the models. You're not, this is not an overnight process. You tell the patient, why don't you come back the next day? You're sitting here in the, 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 the MRI, the CAT scan. No. So obviously this goes back to the, AI, the very first thing we talked about, the AI go, no go, which does it make sense to have the model implemented where you want? So in this situation, you want to have your models on premise. Now you can make a decision of, well, maybe we can train the models in the cloud and then we can implement the models locally. Regardless, you know, the decision, so as part of these decision factors, now you can start thinking, okay, well, this is the kind of problem that I need solved. And it suggests that I need a particular kind of vendor that is optimized for that particular set of problems. And that then helps you uh, narrow down the field as the buyer of the technology. The the, the uh, decision factors narrows down the field. Then now that you know where you need to be, now you need a set of questions that you should ask the vendor to make sure that the vendor that you're talking about meets those restricted needs. If you know that you only need this kind of thing, when you're talking to vendor A, B, C, and D, you ask them the questions that are that will basically ensure that the solution they have does meet your needs. So they would call those things guided questions. So the decision factors narrows down your field to from the 100 vendors that are in the data labeling space, for example, down to the 15 or so that might be relevant. And then the guided questions helps you interact with them to make sure that they can do what you say you want to do. Because let's just imagine you've already made a commitment to a particular cloud vendor, and you want to make sure that that cloud vendor can, in fact, do what you want them to do. That, so that way you could be like, okay, great. At least we don't need to select another vendor. We can continue with the vendor we have currently. So anyway, this, this is sort of a, a long-winded way of talking about product mismatch, assuming that the products do what they say they do. This is a way of basically the vendor pointing, not pointing the finger at you or you not pointing the finger at the vendor saying, well, you brought, you bought the wrong thing to do the wrong thing. Um, but you know what? There are other ways that vendors can fail us in this situation, right? Not just, I bought the wrong thing, right? Exactly. So, you know, as, as we had brought up at the beginning, yes, product mismatch is one, but also overhype and overselling are other issues as well. If you have, I mean, some, you know, we track about 20,000 vendors, like I said, some vendors really are just on point with their messaging, on point with what they offer, how they can help you, and, and you can decide, okay, is this right for me? But other vendors are not as clear cut. So it can, you know, you can, you can kind of get caught up in that marketing and that hype with it and say, okay, wow, look at what they're, look at what they're selling. Look at what they're promising. I, you know, I, I want in on this and that doesn't always necessarily line up with what it is that they actually offer. And that can be, you know, that overhype and overselling as well. So that it's kind of saying it can do a little bit more than it actually can. Right. So, so the specific issues in which lead to project failures here, uh, of course, you know, obviously if, if a vendor is making a claim about their product that it can't do, hopefully you kind of weed that out very quickly. You know, this is the situation where we tell people you should do pilots and not proof of concept. You should always have something that you're going to actually do in production and not do some sort of test thing, which is a throwaway project because that doesn't, one, it doesn't prove anything. We actually talked about that earlier. And two, it doesn't actually help you advance your product. It doesn't actually help you, you generate support for the ROI that you're supposed, you're supposed to do. Um, but, but here, and so, so but let's just assume that, they're, that, that that's not the issue. The issue is really about the fact that 
Um, one, a lot of these companies, these vendors that are changing themselves. And sometimes they themselves may not necessarily know where things are going. This is especially the case when working with startups. We love startups. Don't get, don't get us wrong. If you look at both Kathleen and my personal history <laughs> and what we did, not only here at Cognitica, but before Cognitica, you could tell we have been in the startup entrepreneurial venture capital landscape for years, decades, for, for a long time. We believe in the startup ecosystem, but we know the reality is that startups pivot. We know that startups get acquired. Sometimes they go out of, out of business and sometimes they grow really fast. And when they grow really fast, sometimes they uh, start accumulating other companies. They start acquiring other companies. They go public. There's lots of things that can happen, right? There's, there's as we said, there's only there's a few ways you can be really successful, and many, many, many ways you cannot. <laughs> so the ones that make it have that survivor uh, situation going on. Well, if you bought into some of these companies, you might find that over time the product, the product feature set, the product range uh, changes, and and as a result, um, as you're starting to use that product, it may start to uh, have a mismatch in that the things that you thought their product can do, either they're defocusing and they're no longer doing that, no longer just doing that, or they acquired another company. And therefore that acquisition is now uh, fulfilling some of those things. And that acquisition may may not be have been optimized for what you're doing. So, so this is sort of a different situation here where it's like, it's not don't listen to the vendors, but basically you should assume that what the vendors tell you today may not necessarily be the case tomorrow. And so if that's the case, um, how are you going to plan your project so that it doesn't fail when um, the thing that you assumed that the product would do, it can't do? And uh, as again, we want to be generous here and, and, and not assume that, that there's just some outright lying going on, because we do want to talk about that next, which is there, there is situations where there's some outright lying going on. I'm not just talking about claims about the product that the product can do. Salespeople do that every day in every yeah. industry, whether you're buying a house, a car, or a, you know, a makeup, it doesn't really matter. People are going to make claims about things they can't do, even cosmetics. It's just like, you know, this thing will clear your skin. It's like, eh, we'll see about that. But uh, you know, so this is not software specific by any means, but this is more about the changing nature of technology and honestly, the changing nature of AI, because uh, it's not that people really understand totally where AI is going. Um, I mean, I could spend a little time talking about MLOps as, as, a, as a market space, but may, maybe Kathleen, I don't want to dive too too deep into it. We actually have a whole podcast where we talk about MLOps. Yeah, but, we do. Uh, so stay tuned for that podcast. That, that'll that be coming out in a very soon future podcast on uh, AI failures in particular. But kind of to just go along with what Ron said about how companies do pivot and change, you know, um, the space continues to evolve quite fast, the entire AI landscape. And as Ron mentioned, you know, sometimes companies are acquiring other companies and adding on to their features. So, you know, you may have started, a company may have started a few years ago and just focused on one particular area, but through acquisitions and through the needs of their customers as well. You know, as as customers evolve, these companies need to evolve as well, start offering more rather than just, you know, solely focusing on one particular area. And they evolve and their, uh, you know, technology evolves and what they can offer and provide to you evolves as well. Sometimes that company evolves in a different direction than your company evolves. And that 
you know, maybe you're not the majority customer for them. And so they're focusing on it on a different direction. That's something to pay attention to as well, because the tool three years ago may have been absolutely incredible in what you need, but the tool today has shifted to the point that it's no longer fitting the needs that you have anymore. Doesn't mean it's a bad tool. Doesn't mean three years ago it didn't work for you, but now it doesn't. That's something that you need to evaluate as well. Don't stick with something just to stick with something. Make sure that it is actually fitting your needs. And if it's not, I'm sure that there's other solutions out there that will actually fit your needs. So that's one thing that you do need to pay attention to. And then also, you know, even um, going back to the data labeling space in particular, but there's a lot, uh, auto ML space, machine learning operations, the ML app space, in a bunch of these different areas uh, and coverage areas for us. We have seen companies that weren't traditionally in this space start to get into it for whatever reason. And that's another thing that you need to pay attention to because we've looked at some of these companies and we're like, hmm, we wouldn't have classified them in this space. But looking at what they're offering now, that's where they're moving. So, you know, does that mean that they've given up on their initial product? Depends. You have to you have to really, uh, you know, do some digging there. That's why we have those guided questions and decision factors as well, because it helps our customers say, okay, what do I really want to get at from these vendors? Like, what are the questions I really want answered? And then we help you ask those questions in a way that the vendor will provide you the answers that you want. You know, sometimes maybe you're just not asking the right questions for whatever reason. You just don't know the space that well, or you're asking questions you think you should be asking, but they're not really giving you the the answers that you're going to need moving forward with this project. And that can be where some of that mismatch comes in as well. So that's why it's so important to make sure that you really are asking the right questions so you get the answers that you need. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of like the final little bit here on this particular aspect of the, of the vendor failure is um, you have to ask yourself, for a particularly important need, how much of, of the, how important is it, is that particular functionality that it's something that you should be doing yourself and how much of that should somebody else be doing for you? It's the whole build by, um, like this, is a third thing, build, build versus buy and you sort of do versus outsource kind of question. Um, and this is especially the case with services because, um, if you're dependent on someone else for some really key piece of technology and there's some sort of problem or issue or, or, or they change or they go away, or it's a price issue or some, some other, they get acquired and that team disappears, then you're, then you can get stuck. Um, and, and I'm going to provide a little bit of a hint for the next podcast. So I'm going to tell you, you should listen to the next podcast on this. I'm just going to give you the punchline. You'll understand why, but basically it is starting to look like ML ops is something you do not necessarily something you buy. Um, that being said, there's a lot of MLOps vendors out there. And I'm going to leave it at that. And you'll have to tune into the next podcast to understand what it is that we mean by MLOps is something you do and not necessarily something you buy. But I think that should be a hint as to don't put too many eggs in a basket for a particularly focused vendor that may be only doing MLOps because we'll have to see about the longevity of that part of the market in the future. Now, sort of the, the last little bit here. Uh, so subscribe to our podcast if you're not subscribed and you'll see when that podcast is, <laughs> is, is released. It'll definitely be after this one. So um, 
the last little bit of the overhype, the oversell is something we talked about on a podcast, I think three or four years ago, which is this idea of pseudo AI, which is this problem of companies who are saying that the solution is provided with AI when it is actually being provided by people. And you might think, oh, well, that's kind of scammy and that's really weird. Um, and we actually, will, I think we should link to it. So make a note to add to our notes to link to the podcast on Sudo AI because we talk about it. But it's actually surprisingly prevalent that you might find, you might be like, oh, we just need, um, we don't want to build our own machine learning model to do things like receipt scanning or, uh, you know, some conversational thing or maybe, you know, scheduling uh, calendar invites. So instead of building it, we're going to just basically outsource the whole thing. We're going to procure that model from a third party vendor. We'll basically pay for it as a subscription or a consumption or whatever it is. And what that vendor may not be telling you is that the thing that you thought was an API that used an AI model is actually an API that uses a human behind the scenes. And the human is manually doing that. And you might think, well, maybe in certain cases you don't care, like scheduling appointments. Well, but maybe you do, because do you really want humans looking at the details of your appointment scheduling? Do you want humans looking at those receipts, those medical images? And when it's not being disclosed, that is when we're crossing the line between uh, okay, just uh, abstracting kind of what's providing the service to uh, being misleading, basically. Exactly. You know, it erodes trust, erodes privacy. And then if if you're disclosing it, that's fine. That's one thing. If you're not disclosing it, that's not okay. Also, it becomes pseudo AI because our, is the technology, do you have that AI technology that can actually do this? But you know, for whatever reason, you're you're using humans, maybe as a quality check or whatever, or do you not really have it? And you're using humans because you don't have it, but you're saying that you have it. That's another thing that you really need to be digging into. And if you don't have it, I mean, at, at what number uh, amount of humans do you need before you just can't keep up? There starts to be bottlenecks. It's not moving in, you know, in the speed that you need it to. So these are these are not okay. You know, we talked about it three or four years ago. It was a thing back then. Unfortunately, it is still a still thing today. Right. Yes, <laughs> it does not get talked about nearly as much as it should. It did make some some news. Uh, you know, back in three or four years ago when we talked about it, but it doesn't get as much news as it should. And sometimes Ron and I, you know, I mean, and this was with large organizations that this was happening. Even with, uh, you know, voice assistants, it was said that some companies had, and this was a few years ago, so these numbers could drastically be higher, but it was like 10,000 employees in their voice assistant unit. Why? First off, that's an insane amount of employees. I mean, that's larger than many companies. Mm -hmm. And it was just in that one unit. You're like, hmm, why do you need that? Other organizations are growing, you know, with huge numbers of employees per year. And you're like, I thought that you had technology that handled a lot of this. Why do you need to hire a thousand new employees every year? Where exactly are they going to work? So, you know, you need to do a little bit of digging. That's what we do at Cognolytica. And we say, why? And question, why? Why do you need this many employees? What are they being used for? If you are supposed to have this amazing technology, you shouldn't be needing all these humans to also be doing what that technology is supposed to be doing. 
Yeah. I mean, so more specifically, let's just say we were um, providing you the guided questions here in this podcast. And one of the things you were going to consider is like, oh, I'm going to cons- I'm going to procure some system for doing uh, automated receipt OCR or something like that. And what you want is, okay, well, what questions should I ask these vendors uh, who are providing the service? Well, we should have, of the many questions, the most important question is, are there any humans in the loop at all in this process? When I submit an API request and I send you the image and I get back from you the re- response that has all the text in the image, which is generally what the API will do. Maybe it'll provide some other things, some other details, right? How much in, how much human involvement is there between those two steps? And basically you tell them, don't lie. Okay. This is, this call is being recorded, you know, whatever it is, this is all going to be an evidence. So how, what percent, you know, you could say, are humans involved? And if they go, yes, humans are involved. Then the next question is, okay, well, are they involved in every transaction? Or you could say, what percentage of transactions require a human involvement? And again, you know, don't give me the, oh, it's like very, very rare, you know, one out of every, you know, 10,000 APIs requires a human. You should ask for as much, as much, um, honesty as possible. Now you might not care. They might come back and they say, yes, there's a human in the loop and there's a human involved in every step. For example, in audio transcription services, I'm going to get very specific here because I'm going to call some, some, some categories of companies out and I call specific categories out. There are companies out there that you basically send an audio file and provides a transcription back. Now we have used the fully automated transcription services for the, for our podcast. As you might imagine, they are good, but they're not perfect. You know, there's something like 80 to 90% accurate. But when you have a transcript that's 80 to 90% accurate, and then you have to go through it yourself and go through all things, and they're like, look, can't even spell my name right or Kathleen's name. <laughs> yeah. guess generous. That doesn't spell our company name right. I mean, like it misses lots of things. You know, um, you're spending almost as much time reviewing the transcript as it would be as if you had done the transcript. Um, now there are other services that come back with like a 99.9% accuracy rate. And they will tell you that that's because there's, there's actually a human person in there, either, um, listening to the, to the audio and reading the transcript and making the corrections or actually doing the, the transcript. This is where the honesty matters, because if they come back and they tell you one thing, and it's really something else, then, um, you may not be very happy because why would you be happy with an 80, 90% accuracy rate with a human involvement, for example, or no human involvement. So just, I don't want to beat this one here, but, but basically long story short, you know, even in situations like that, you need to have these questions need to get these answers. And then you can basically make an intelligent decision. You might decide that that's still fine. And maybe you have to put some extra contract language to basically with, to deal with privacy or something else, you know, some disclosure thing, or maybe you, you make the company liable in one way or the other, or maybe you decide not to use it, or maybe you decide that you're only going to use fully non-human in the loop services, but then you have to invest on your side with additional stuff to basically do quality control and additional things like that, then you realize that, oh, it's not just $15 a month for podcast transcription. It's $15 a month for an 80 to 90% accurate podcast transcription. Plus it's going to cost me two hours of labor per podcast. And therefore I got to budget that. So it's actually really, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then you're doing the math and you're like, oh, this. <laughs> then you can make a smart decision. And that's what it's all about because it's about succeeding and not failing. So I think we've really kind of gotten into some detail here. You might've thought this would have been a short podcast on uh, you know, us complaining about vendors, but actually there's a lot of different ways that the, the picking the right provider or picking the wrong provider could really sink your whole entire AI project. 
Exactly. So hopefully you have learned something from this podcast. That's our goal of every podcast. And as we had said, there's a few more left in this AI failure series. So if you haven't already done so, please make sure to subscribe to the AI Today podcast so that you can get updates on all of our upcoming podcasts. We have a few additional ones scheduled for the end of the year. I had talked about um, you know, our AI failure series. We also have a few additional interviews. We've interviewed uh, commissioners from the National Security Commission on AI, NSCAI. So those, uh, stay tuned, they'll be releasing towards the end of the month. And then we also have our 2022 predictions, AI predictions podcast, which we do every year. We like to, you know, look forward, see where the industry is going and um, make our predictions for the year. And also look at the predictions that we had made for 2021 and see, you know, which ones came true, where things are in in that uh, whole realm of of the predictions. So definitely stay tuned for that. Those are always really fun podcasts. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We also always love to hear from our guests. We've heard from many of you recently with feedback on episodes that we've had, um, and also just, you know, to tell us what you like and want more of. So please make sure to reach out. You can always email us info at cognolitica.com. That's I-N-F-O at C-O-G N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. So, you know, like I said, make sure to like, subscribe, um, uh, rate us as well. And we'll definitely um, look at all of those as we always do. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.